Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 20? Ezekiel chapter 20, we've been spending some time in our series starting in the prophet Jeremiah, but now we're moving to the next major prophet over for Easter Sunday. And we're going to be in Ezekiel 20, and I'm only going to read one verse, and I'm going to try to read it before you can even find it in your Bibles, okay? Ready, set, go. Try to find Ezekiel. I'm going to read Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. Hear now God's word. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to know your son Jesus in his resurrection power this morning. We want to know him as the king who lives again, who reigns over all, and we want to know him as the one who sanctifies. Would your Holy Spirit teach us that this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I recently read a fascinating essay. Actually, read would be a strong word. I saw the essay's title and I kind of skimmed it, and the title is this, The Sacred Geometry of Music. Doesn't that sound like the kind of essay you want to get credit for reading, you know? Um, But I saw it, and in this essay, it picks up a theme that we've mentioned in here before, and that is the symmetry in music of when you strike a key on a piano, all the notes in perfect intervals, they vibrate along with that note, right? They, They can't help but resonate with what they hear in the note that matches them at perfect intervals, Well, the same thing is true of our Bibles. When we pick up certain parts, when we read certain phrases, when we hear certain themes, the rest of our Bible that matches that can't help but resonate along with it. And that's what's happening in our verse this morning. That's what happens in Ezekiel 20.12. You could have read this verse about the Sabbath dozens of times before to different effect. But when you hold the thing next to Easter, it vibrates like crazy. To see this symmetry in Ezekiel, to understand the Sabbath and how it resonates, we've got to do some heavy lifting this morning. We've got to tell the story of the Sabbath from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to do that. And we're going to do it in four chapters. We're going to understand the four chapters of the story of the Sabbath. And as we do that, we're going to answer the very biblical question, what does the Sabbath have to do with Ezekiel, have to do with Easter? How do those things all tie together? And then we're also going to sanctify the very American question, what does any of this have to do with me? I mean, when do I show up in the story? When do I feature in the story of the Sabbath? We're going to do both of those things, and we're going to do them in 23 minutes. Okay? That's what we're about. Chapter 1, God makes the Sabbath. Chapter 1, God makes the Sabbath. God created the world in six days and finished ahead of schedule. Genesis 1 reads kind of like a South Carolina work week, right? Because God is done by lunchtime on Friday. He finishes it, packs the tools up, throws them in the truck, and he's done. But we learn that that's not an accident. It's not that he's finishing early. It's that he intended to create the world in six days so that he could set 
apart Saturday, he could bless it and declare it holy. He's going to do something special with the Saturday Sabbath. That's all we hear in Genesis. We don't get a lot of details about it. We have to wait in our Bibles until we get to Exodus, and then we get some details about the Sabbath. We hear most about it in the Ten Commandments. You'll remember that commandment number four is this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and rested on the seventh. It's easy to kind of blow past this command. It's number four. It's buried in the Ten Commandments. It doesn't seem as important as the ones about murder and adultery, but you've got to remember the context in which this commandment is being given. The people of Israel, they've just been delivered from Egypt and the land of slavery. It was a brutal seven-day work week slavery. And now they're entering a brand new land and God is saying this to them. One of the ways you're going to know that I'm God One of the ways you're going to know that you're reorienting your life around something different is that you will do this thing you have never done before, and that is you will put aside your work on Saturday and you will rest. You've been a slave before, but now in this new life, you're going to rest. Imagine the symbolic power of that. I mean, imagine a child coming to their parents and saying, Dad, why do we do this on Saturday? Why don't we do any chores? You don't make us do anything on Saturday. What's the deal with that? Or imagine a foreigner who's employed by an Israelite who comes and says, sir, I don't mean to complain at all. I'm just curious. I've never seen this before. Why do we have a day of rest? Why do we take a break on Saturday? Well, the astute Israelite would respond, I'm going to tell you a story. It's a story that starts in Egypt and ends in Canaan. It's a story that starts with indiscriminate days of slave labor where Monday felt like Wednesday, felt like Saturday, and it's going to end with a day of rest. And throughout this story, you're going to learn about a God who surprises us at every turn. Chapter 1, God makes the Sabbath. Chapter 2, man breaks the Sabbath. Chapter 2 is a dark chapter. I wish this chapter wasn't in here at all. The first time in the Bible that the word Sabbath is used is Exodus chapter 16. That's the first time we hear the word, and that's the first time we get detailed instructions about the Sabbath. That's important. Remember Exodus 16, because that's the first time it's mentioned. The first time that the Sabbath is ignored and broken is in Exodus chapter 16. It's made and it's broken, it's explained and it's ignored in the very same chapter. And that about sums up man's relationship with the Sabbath. It is particularly addressed in Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Chronicles, Nehemiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Amos, and now here in our passage in Ezekiel and its context where God says again and again, you have profaned my Sabbath. 
When we say profaning the Sabbath, we don't mean a confusion about the particulars. We mean flagrant and regular disobedience of the Sabbath day that God has given his people. Do you see the bitter irony here? A people who have come out of a land of slavery and they've been given this symbol of their salvation, this day of rest, and doggone it, the people of Israel stumble over top of themselves to work straight through Saturday. They do not take the Sabbath rest, the sign of their salvation. Sabbath breaking is a synecdoche, right? It's a part of a bigger whole. It's not like Israelites and humanity, they loved and served God in general, but then they only had problems with Sabbath keeping specifically. Sabbath breaking was just part of the entire rotten whole. Sabbath breakers are God haters. Sabbath breakers are God haters. They hate God and they don't want to do what he says. Now, I don't think anybody, especially in the Old Testament, would have articulated it quite that way, right? They wouldn't say that. They probably wouldn't even think that consciously, that I'm a person who hates God. They wouldn't say that at all, but that's actually the point of the prophets coming to them and speaking these things to them. They're telling the people You want to be around God. You like to be in the same room that God is. That's why you like to come to services. That's why you like to celebrate holidays. That's why you enjoy the trappings of religion. You kind of want to be in the same room as God. And I know you want things from God. You want his mercy when you're in trouble. You want his blessing when you're working. You want to be near him. You want things from him. But you have no allegiance to him Because he's called you to do this thing and you have refused. God creates the Sabbath. Man breaks the Sabbath. That's terrible news. It's a terrible story. But there's actually an interlude between the chapters in this story. In the 700s BC, a prophet stands in the shadow of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire is a wicked empire. They do unspeakable things to the people they conquer. And they are on the verge of destroying Israel as we know her. Things are as bad as they could possibly be. God's judgment is coming against Sabbath breakers and God haters. And the prophet's name is Isaiah. And this is what he says at the very end of his prophecy. He says God's going to remake the world. And from new moon to new moon. And from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come and worship me declares the Lord. If a child had come to the prophet Isaiah. And said Isaiah why do my parents work on the Sabbath when God has told us to rest on the Sabbath? Why don't they do what God has told us to do? Isaiah would respond, I'm going to tell you a sad but a beautiful story. It starts in Egypt and it leads to exile, but God is ultimately going to do what your parents cannot do. He's going to fulfill the law and he will give you rest. That's the interlude, and it sets it up, us up for chapter 3. Chapter 3, Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. God makes it 
man breaks it. Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You kind of saw this coming a mile away, right? This is a church, and I'm a pastor, and it's Easter, and all roads lead to Jesus. You knew this was going to be the punchline. And I think in that way, Jesus can feel kind of like essential oils, right? He's the remedy for every ailment. If you've broken your leg, try Jesus and some lavender, and everything's going to be okay. Um, But you've got to believe me when I say that I would never play fast and loose with an intercanonical Sabbath echo, right? If I didn't see this thing in the Gospels, I wouldn't be saying it on Sunday morning. We don't play games with that kind of stuff. All four Gospel writers can't help but find Jesus in and around the Sabbath. Have you ever noticed that when you read the Gospels? They don't mention hardly any other day of the week. It's not like they're out there saying this is what happened on Monday and this is what happened on Wednesday and this was something that happened on Friday. They don't have their calendars out marking when Jesus does what, but we hear a ton about the Sabbath. I mean, the word Sabbath shows up 50 times in the Gospels. That's a full third of every time that the Sabbath is mentioned in the entire Bible. A full third of it happens in just these four books. Jesus attends the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus teaches on the Sabbath. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Jesus' disciples, they pick grain on the Sabbath. And in that last instance, there was a little dust up between Jesus and the Pharisees. They wanted to know why Jesus' disciples were picking grain. And he answers them. And then he says this. You need to know this. The Son of Man is Lord of what? He is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus could have said that about everything, but he doesn't. He doesn't walk around saying, I'm Lord of circumcision, and I'm Lord of the temple, and I'm Lord of the sacrificial system. But on this occasion, he says, you need to know that I am Lord of the Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? That Sabbath attention becomes really important on Easter weekend. Every single gospel writer attests to the fact that Jesus, he died on Friday on a cross. He was buried in a tomb on Saturday and he rose again from the dead on Sunday. Everybody's in agreement with that. Jesus fulfilled Saturday's Sabbath rest by laying dead and dormant in a tomb with the weight of sin upon himself. And from Easter onward, the New Testament claims that Sunday is the reimagined, fulfilled Sabbath, the Lord's day of worship and rest. This is the new Sabbath in which we gather and celebrate. The Sunday Sabbath takes on a new meaning that's not quite different than the old meaning of Sabbath rest. God tells humanity, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you tired from hiding your sin from other people? Are you tired carrying the weight of your reputation? 
Are you tired running after things and addictions that you know will not satisfy you? Are you tired of bearing the burden of guilt and shame? The Lord of the Sabbath is here. And he offers to take the weight of that upon himself and to pay its penalty and to give us rest in the gospel. Chapter 1, God makes the Sabbath. Chapter 2, man breaks the Sabbath. Chapter 3, Jesus fulfills the Sabbath. Chapter 4, we respond to the made, broken, fulfilled Sabbath. You take this story of the Sabbath and you hold it next to Ezekiel 20 verse 12 and see if this thing doesn't vibrate off the page. I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. As of Easter, Sunday has become a signpost to the world. Sunday is a signpost in the ground that points the world to the rest that is found in Jesus. I don't know if you've ever driven on I-95 in South Carolina or North Carolina. If you have, you've seen a billboard for south of the border, right? In fact, you've probably seen a hundred billboards for south of the border because they're every mile, every two miles, and they're just super cheesy billboards with the south of the border Mexican theme with Pedro on them. So you've got one billboard that says weather report, chilly today, hot tamale. That's one of my favorites. You've got another one with this like giant sausage that's glued up to the thing and it says you never saw such a place. I mean, genius stuff. But the cumulative effect is Wherever you are on I-95, you know where you stand in relation to south of the border, right? That's never lost on you when you're on that road. That's what Ezekiel 20.12 becomes for us. No matter where we stand in our week, we see ourselves in relation to Sunday's rest. As of Easter, Sunday has become a signpost to the world. Sunday, it stands up and it shouts to us, I am the Lord who sanctifies. When Sunday rolls around, which it does this time every single week, it is a rhythm for our bodies to pause and acknowledge it is not my work, it is not my effort, it's not my motives that leads me to God and keeps me right with God. Like an Israelite who puts down the clay and straw of slavery to take up a Sabbath animated life in God. So a believer takes off, throws off, puts away everything that threatens Sabbath rest. If a child comes to us and says, mom, dad, why why do we do this thing on Sunday? Why do we cut off the cartoons? Why do we pack up the Legos? Why do we get in the car? Why do we drive to this place? Why do we sing songs? Why do we hear scripture read? A parent can answer, I'm going to tell you a story. And it starts with creation and it ends with new creation. And at the very center of the story is Easter. God wins a rest we couldn't keep. And in that respect, every Sunday is Easter. Let's pray together. Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, give us rest, we plead. 
There's some of us who don't know you and we've run from you. And I pray that today is the day that you soften our hearts to come and find rest in you. There are some of us who have found that we've been born again, but like the Israelites, we work straight through the Sabbath and we think that it is something we do that causes your face to smile. Give us Sabbath rest. Let us know that you have won this victory on our behalf and that we can rest in you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.